Well, good morning. How are we doing, Central Heights? Oh, we're pretty good. Got the turkey hangover, I guess. But hey, welcome to our Sunday morning gathering. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege and honor to be opening up God's Word with you this morning as we wrap up our beautiful Collision series. Hey, we hope that you had a great holiday, um, and we hope that as we meet here now in this moment that, that God would speak to you. And so today, we're wrapping up our beautiful collision series. If you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it? We're going to be spending our time today in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, as we wrap up this series we've been in all December. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about beautiful collisions. And in some ways, it can be really hard uh, to put beautiful and a collision in the same sentence, to put those two to, together, because to get your he- head wrapped around that idea that collisions are beautiful is not always easy, isn't it? Because if you're like me, when I hear the word collision, my mind immediately goes to, to something that you want to avoid, something uh, that you don't want to happen, something that ends badly, that doesn't turn out well. That's where my mind goes to, and I think that's the collisions that most of us are, are familiar with. And as I've been thinking about beautiful collisions and, and this word collision in, uh, in preparation for today, I've had one that really stands out in my mind. And I'm sure that as we think about collisions, we've all had different collisions come to mind. But one really stands out in my mind. And it happened when I was playing professional hockey in a, a town in Denver, uh, Colorado. And uh, we were playing Tulsa, the Tulsa Oilers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so we were in town. We were playing this game. And it was one of those games where you just know that you're going to get on the bus afterwards and you're going to be celebrating, that it's going to end well. The team was playing well, I was playing well, like that had really any bearing on the ending, but it was, it was really just uh, one of those games where you just felt good about what was going on, and uh, that was the feeling that we had going in late into the game, and then I experienced a not-so-beautiful collision, and I didn't end up on the bus happy. And here's what happened. So we, we had a face-off at center ice, we won the draw, the puck was dumped in, and it was a race between me and one other defenseman to go get the puck, and so we're shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder. we're racing into the corner, and in my mind, I have this picture of a beautiful beautiful collision that's going to happen. I have in my mind, here's how it's going to play out. I'm going to get in at just the right moment. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lay him out. I'm going to take the puck. I'm going to pass it to a teammate. He's going to score all the glory. Dave is the winner. That's what I was thinking. That was the beautiful collision that I had in my mind. But let me tell you, that was not what happened because unbeknownst to me, the other defenseman came from behind. He hit me at just the moment when I was leading and I crashed into the boards, completely knocked out. And I woke up in the dressing room with our trainer going, follow my finger, Dave. Follow my finger. That's not the way you want to wake up, is it? There's better ways to wake up. And so I woke up in the dressing room that day. There's 15 minutes of my life that I still can't tell you um, what happened in those. I've only been told from other people. But I woke up in the dressing room on that day, and I woke up to the reality that not all collisions are beautiful in life. And I know I don't have to convince you of that. We've all had something collide with our life, maybe this year or in years past, or even right now, something's collided with your life and it's, it's not turning out well. Things are ending badly. It's not a beautiful collision. It's actually a not so beautiful collision. Maybe our finances didn't work out. Maybe what we wanted collided with what someone else wanted and it's just a mess. The aftermath is just wreckage. Maybe we have family issues or marriage issues or issue with our health or our kids. Whatever it is, you and I, we're well aware that not all collisions are beautiful because we either have lived or are living in the wreckage of a not-so-beautiful collision. And maybe you're here today 
and, and something's collided into your life in 2017, and it ended badly, and you're just living in the aftermath of that. And now, as we get ready to enter into 2018, you're looking for something to break into your life that will make a difference in 2018, that will make 2018 different than 2017 that you're hoping, whatever hope you have, that this year might be different, that something can break in and make a difference in this year. And if that's the space you're in, I want to tell you there is good news for you today because something has already broken into this world and something will break in, in full, in the future that has the potential to make the difference in your life if you take hold of it. There's something that's already broken in and something will break in in the future that has the potential to make a difference. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we close out our beautiful collision series. And so we pick up the story in Mark's gospel in verse 14 with these words. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when we read these words, we come to a transition point, a turning point in the story of Mark, Mark's gospel so far. And that turning point is that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one that God had given the great ministry to get people ready for the coming of the Messiah, the, the rescuer that God had promised he would send to rescue Israel, all the nations and the world, is that John's ministry was to get people ready for that Messiah. And we read here that he's been arrested that the ruler of Galilee, King Herod, has arrested John because John stood up to him. He threw him in prison. And with that clang of that door in the prison cell, John's ministry and story ends, and Jesus' ministry on earth is launched. And this is how he launches it. It says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So when you read that, two things really jump out right away at me. First is that Jesus came into Galilee. This jumps out to me because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. In Mark 1.1, we've already seen the identity of Jesus. Mark says he is the son of God, the Christ. He's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the God, the son, the perfect, eternal God himself has descended into human history, taken on, the, taken on the form of a human and is walking on earth as a human in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We see the son of God alive in a human flesh. This is Jesus. This is who he is. We also see he's the Christ, which is another word for the Messiah, the God's anointed one, the re promised rescuer that would come and rescue Israel. And so we see Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah. And this Jesus came into Galilee. And that word came, it means to move toward someone or something. And so here's what that means. In other words, in Jesus, God moves towards the people in Galilee. They're not looking for Jesus. They're just living their life. They're doing what they normally do, but God is looking for them. Now I want to stop and just let that sink in for a second, is that God moves towards us in Jesus. That's a mind-blowing Reality that the God of the universe, the all powerful, infinite, holy creator of the universe, the awesome God himself, moves to us because in his minds we matter enough to be pursued. That is a mind blowing truth. I'll never get over that truth that God pursues us, that God has pursued me. Me. God chose to pursue me. For most of my life, I, I wasn't that interested in God, I believed he existed. 
But I just never thought that God was interested enough in me to come after me and find me. And the first time as I've reflected on my story, the first time that I remember uh, God came, came pursuing me and God showed up in my life was when I was in college. We, I was a student athlete in college and so we would be put into this course that they put all student athletes in so that we could stay eligible, we could get good grades and that we could actually go to school and get a degree that would last longer than our playing careers or our, our athletics. And so part of this course was we would take this personality assessment and at the end of the personality assessment, you get this list of all the different jobs, vocations, degree programs that would fit with your personality. And as I've reflected, I, don't rem- I only remembered one. I don't remember any of the other ones, but I only remember one. And I remember leaning over to my teammate, pointing at it, laughing and saying, that is the dumbest thing. I would never do that. This is silly. Like, I just kind of wrote that off. And years later, you know what I remembered? It was pastor. It was the first time that I remember God leaning into my life and whispering, Dave, I have a better dream for your life. Your dream is to play in the NHL. My dream is that you would know me, love me, and that you would serve me by helping people understand that there is life-changing love available to them in my son, Jesus. He's like, that's my dream for you. And that was the first time I remember God pursuing me, and it didn't happen overnight. I didn't meet God in that moment because six years later, that's when God really broke into my life. He came and found me empty and absolutely broken in Colorado, and he came into my life, and his perfect love burst into my life, and it changed me forever. And I stand here today telling you that God is a relentless pursuer of those he loves, and you're here today because he's pursuing you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants more of your life to be his. God pursues those he loves. And we see this in Jesus here now in this moment. God moves to us in Jesus. But he doesn't just come to us in Jesus. He comes to us with good news. We see in verse 14 that good news is connected to the word gospel. The gospel is the the word good news. It's an announcement that an important event is happening that is worthy of celebration. And so Jesus doesn't just come to us. He comes to us with good news. He shows up to these people in Galilee with good news that God is choosing this moment in history to do something in Jesus that will change absolutely everything. In Jesus, we see God is beginning a new and decisive act to bring his promise of ultimate redemption to pass. And this new act in Jesus, it has to do, it's all about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so Jesus shows up and brings good news. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you're a Jewish person hearing this, this was really, really good news because uh, the waiting is over and God is about to keep his promise because when they would have heard this, they would have thought instantly to a promises, the promises God had made hundreds and hundreds of years before to people like the prophet Isaiah. Um, he would say things like this, and we've heard this verse before because we read it every year at Christmas, but God was, was speaking to, through a prophet named Isaiah and he says these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
And so God's promise is that one day he would do something awesome, that what he is talking about here is all about God and what he do, that God would be the one that would act, that God would be the one to settle things right, that one day God would act through a Messiah to establish a never-ending kingdom of unending righteousness and justice and peace. He's talking about this moment here now, And this promise was the hope of Israel and they had clung to it through exile and oppression and slavery and dark nights in the wanderings of the wilderness and they had clung to this hope for 400 years since the last time that God spoke. This was their hope. They clung to it. They had waited for it. And now Jesus' voice is breaking that silence and he's declaring that everything God's promised and everything you've waited for is coming together in one awesome moment centered around me, Jesus says. It's an announcement that God is acting in Jesus to keep all his promises. In Jesus, the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign is breaking into the world and God is at work to bring justice where there is injustice, beauty where there is brokenness, peace where there is conflict, unity where there is division, forgiveness where there is sin, healing where there is sickness. He's at work to defeat evil once and for all. He's at work to reverse the curse of the fall, to give fullness of life in the place of death and restore harmony to all creation. This is what God is doing and this is what it came to mind for a Jewish person who heard Jesus that day in Galilee. Can you imagine what they must have felt in that moment? The excitement, the hope, it must have been staggering. Everything they'd longed for, everything they hoped for was coming. The closest I can come to in in, in what that feeling was like was when I was standing at the altar waiting for my wife Catherine to come down the aisle. The doors were closed. Everyone had come down. The groomsmen were here. The bridesmaids were here. And I just had this anticipation, this expectancy, this buzz, and all this emotion was roiling up within me. And I was just waiting, and I was just shaking. I just couldn't wait to see my beautiful bride come down. And the doors opened, and I started to cry. I lost it. Because Morellis are criers. We're going to cry. Just get used to it. That's who we are. We cry. Our emotions are here. And so I, it, was, it was a beautiful moment. Why? because it was so good to stop waiting. It was so good to finally see what I had been waiting for, what I longed for, what I hoped for. And I think this is just a little snippet, a little taste of what the Jewish people would have experienced in this moment. They would have felt so much emotion because it would be so good to stop waiting. So this moment signals that that waiting moment was over. And it was good news for them, but it's also good news for us because it means that God is taking care of a not-so-beautiful collision that happened in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And there we see that God creates everything, and everything God creates is good, and the creation is all working in perfect harmony. And then you get to chapter 3, and everything just blows up. The first humans, they disobey God. They do the very thing God says not to do. And then bursting into the world comes sin, and it wrecks everything. Creation becomes broken. Later on in the Bible, Paul uh, writes to the church in Rome and he says that creation is actually groaning to be set free, that there's something broken within creation. But not only that is our relationship with God is broken as humans and our relationship with each other becomes broken. Even ourselves inside, sin ravages us and, and, and we become broken in need, of, in need of fixing from the inside out. And so we see a, a not so beautiful collision between God's perfect world that he created and sin. It just crashes together and it's not beautiful at all. And from that point on, we've been living in the aftermath of this not-so-beautiful collision. 
So in Genesis, we see this not so beautiful collision happen because of human disobedience and it affects everything. But this doesn't stop God because God's response is to make a beautiful collision happen in the person and work of Jesus. And that beautiful collision is heaven comes to meet earth. Divinity comes to meet humanity. God himself comes to us and with him, a heavenly realm, the kingdom of God breaks in and collides with this lost and broken world creating the potential for this world to be renewed and every human life to experience something more. And so in the person and work of Jesus, something has already broken into this world that can change everything in your life because the kingdom of God comes not just with the arrival of Jesus on earth, but it comes through a king who would suffer and die for you so that you could become a citizen of this kingdom. Because three years from this moment, Jesus would go to a cross and he was nailed there and he would die and he was buried and then he would rise again. And so that anyone who would put their faith in him and lean their life on Jesus and what he did could be ushered into this heavenly kingdom and enjoy all that it has to offer. And so the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, he describes this, this transition like this. He says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus delivers us from one kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, of spiritual death, of brokenness, into God's kingdom. Jesus does that for us. He does it in our place through his life, death, and resurrection. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, I want you to hear that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Here now, this morning, this moment, you belong to God's kingdom Something has already broken into your life that you can experience now. And you can have hope that a day is coming when something will break in fully and finally to set all things right. In other words, if you trust in Jesus, you are living in the already and the almost of God's kingdom. Because in reality, what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection is that the kingdom of God has come. It's already here. It already exists and rules in the hearts of God's people through his Holy Spirit. And what we can experience now is that we can experience what we will experience in full when Jesus returns, that right now in this moment, what you will experience in full, you can experience in part the blessings of the future kingdom, all the spiritual blessings that Jesus won for you. You can experience now. You can already have access in part to that love and that joy and peace and all the spiritual blessings of the kingdom, which means this, an abundant, full life is available now. You do not have to wait for it. You can take hold of it here now. God has given you a great inheritance that you can experience now. Abundant life is possible now. You do not have to wait for it. You do not have to wait for it. So the kingdom is already here, but the kingdom of God is also coming. It's almost here. It's not yet arrived in full. We are waiting for it to come in full, which means until, we do, until that comes, until that happens, we're still gonna experience pain and suffering on this earth. The earth isn't gonna work right. We're gonna experience natural disasters. We're gonna have crazy ice storms. We're gonna experience grief and mourning and death and sadness. We're gonna continue to experience those things as we wait with anticipation and hope for Jesus to come back and set all things right. And that means that we live in a time of tension, this in-between time between the already and the almost. A good way to think about it is is childbirth. So upon conception, there's a, a human, a baby, is already living inside the mom. 
but you have to wait nine months for that baby to actually arrive and hold it in your hands. And so the, the kingdom of God is, is like that. You live in this in-between time. You know the baby's there. It's already there, but you have to wait for it to arrive in full nine months from now. And the moment you find out that that baby is here, is already here, you start to live differently. Why? Because everything's changed at the announcement that you have a baby coming. Everything changes. For the mom, she has to start eating differently. She stops drinking anything harmful. She can't go into hot tubs or ride a roller coaster. The awareness of the child's arrival changes her entire life. She starts dif- living differently in order to honor the arrival of that child. So for the mom, everything happens. There's physical challenges. There's, there's the, the experience of labor. There's all these things. And for the husband, he has to be really, really careful what he says because the emotions are bubbling. Right? They're right there at the surface. Lots is going on. I remember all the time coming into our house and going, hey, babe, saying something to her that I normally say, and she just go, oh, and I'm like, what's the matter? What happened? She's like, I don't know. I'm just crying. Like just emotions are there. For the husband, it's more than that, though. The husband has to start laying his life down more. He has to start serving more. He takes on a greater load at home. He lifts his wife up. He encourages her. He starts living differently, too. He starts looking at his own life. Everything starts to change the moment you find out the baby is already here and is coming. But then the labor happens. And it's not without pain. There's pain in the labor, and the labor goes on for a long time. And you have to wait through that pain. You have to fight through that pain. But when it comes to the end and the baby arrives and there's great joy and there's this feeling that you can't experience any way else, it's worth the wait. It's worth the struggle because joy has arrived. Something beautiful has arrived and nothing is ever the same again. Life has changed forever and you live in a new world, something beautiful and challenging but really, really beautiful. And I think in a small way this is like the already and almost of God's kingdom. It's here and we get to enjoy it now, but we have to wait for the joy of its full arrival. And while we wait, we go through the pain and struggle of this world to get to the joy of the world to come. We, we, we sit in that tension that happens, but in that waiting, we have a big gospel and a big hope that is real right now. Because with Jesus' arrival, his life, his death, and his resurrection, the kingdom of God was conceived on earth, and God is even now giving birth to something beautiful in this broken world. And even though we live in this time of waiting and things don't always work out like we hope and and suffering happens and, and, and struggles are there, We live in a time of waiting that is marked by a victory and a hope. We live in this beautiful in-between time where we can look back and know that Jesus won a decisive victory at the cross and the resurrection that one day he is going to return. We live in an in-between time where there's victory and victory. That's the time and that the good news of what Jesus has done is bigger than any circumstance we face. And it never changes even though our circumstances do. And the great hope we have is that because of what Jesus has done, he's coming back. He's said he's coming back. He's done what needs to be done in the cross and resurrection. He's coming back to set all things right. And because we have that hope, we have a hope that's bigger than any hopeless situation and a hope that never changes even though our circumstances do. In every moment, this is true for you. Whether you're driving your car and you're stuck in traffic or you're in line at the bank and you're waiting for the teller. When your kids are crying and they're just driving you nuts, you have big hope and a big gospel. Moms, when you wake up in the middle of the night to feed your baby because they're crying and they need mom, this is true for you then. When you're experiencing uh, pain or suffering, when you're at work or in school, in good seasons and bad seasons, we have this big gospel and this big hope that Jesus has done all that needed to be done so that we could be citizens of the kingdom that is already here 
while at the same time living with an unshakable hope that the kingdom will come in full and everything one day will be put right. This never changes, even though our circumstances do. And this is good news for us because something has already broken into the world and something will break in in the future that has the potential to change your life, that has the potential to make a difference in this year and the years to come, if you take hold of it. And that's where we end with Jesus saying these words at the end of verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so what do we do with the already almost of the kingdom? Well, Jesus tells us we respond to the good news because the gospel always ends and leads to a response. It always ends, it always leads to responding. And so Jesus says the response to the good news is to repent and believe in the gospel. It's a two-part response. The first part is repent. Repent's a fancy word. It means to change one's heart and mind about something, to turn from something to something and then start walking in that way of life. It's about turning from something, turning to something. And so Jesus is saying, turn from anything that falls outside of what God says is right, good, true, and best. Say no to those things in your life that don't line up to God's word and what he says there. Turn from your fear. Turn from your hopelessness. Turn from your pain, your grief, your struggles. And he says, believe, which is the second part of the response is to believe. And believe means to put your trust in something and to rely upon something or someone. And so Jesus is saying, put your trust in me. Rely on the good news that I have declared here today. He's saying, don't just turn from something, away from it. Turn to me. Believe in me and what I've done and what I say and walk in that truth. Don't just turn from something. Turn to me, Jesus, because when you do that, you will experience all that I came to give you. The citizenship of the kingdom, all the spiritual blessings that comes with that. And I think we often look at this, this call to repentance and to believe, to turn from things and turn to Jesus and what he says is better. And we focus on what we have to give up or turn from in order to follow Jesus. But what would happen in 2018, church, if we decided to start looking at this a little bit differently? What if we started to focus on, instead of what what we lose or we might have to get up, what if we started turning instead and looking at what we will gain when we turn to Jesus and believe in what he's done and rest in the big hope and the big gospel we have? Because what we gain in Jesus is worth far more than anything you may have to give up. What we gain in Jesus is worth so much more than anything we may have to let go of or, or turn from. See, in the Gospel of Matthew, another story about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there's these two great parables. One's the parable of the hidden treasure and the one's the parable of the, the great pearl. And in both, people are coming across this hidden treasure and this pearl. And their response is that they see so much value in these things that there's, they're worth more than anything they have as they leave the, where they are at. They go and they get rid of everything to take a hold of those treasures because they're worth more than anything in this world. And those are just symbols of Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and the kingdom of God is worth giving up everything for because it's worth more than anything. It's worth more than anything now, and it's worth more than anything in the the world to come. And so the question we're all left with is, how do you respond to this? Because what we really need is already here, and what we hope for is almost here. And so a beautiful collision has happened already. 
and a beautiful collision will come again and is almost here. It's broken into the world in Jesus and it can break into your life today and all you need to do is take hold of it. That's good news as we head into 2018. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this good news. There's so much bad news in this world. There's so much to get focused on. There's so much to mourn over. And yet in this moment, I I just feel you calling us to lift our eyes and remember this good news. That you didn't stay at a distance, but that you came close to us in Jesus. And that you brought good news that, that there's more to this life and that we can all take a hold of it when we put our trust in you. And I thank you, Jesus, that you did everything in your life, your death and resurrection, that makes it possible for people like me to become a citizen of of the kingdom. And I just pray for my my friends here that no matter what it has collided in their life recently or no matter what wreckage they're living in from a not-so-beautiful collision, I pray that in some way your kingdom and these truths would break into their life, that they would see the good news, experience the good news and the hope that is available in you, Jesus. And I pray that it would make a difference in their life here now, today. And so I just thank you for this good news that we can sit in it and sing about it and receive it. And I pray that we would live in light of that good news in 2018. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.